This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Well, welcome to the Richard Blackbee Leadership Podcast. My name is Sam, and I'm here to help take your leadership to the next level. I've got Dr. Richard Blackbee. Always good to be with you, Sam. It's a pleasure, Richard. And uh, we've come now to the uh, final chapter in our and series. And people thought we'd never do that. I know. You know, they, they thought this would this would never end, but uh, just seemed, it just felt that way. <laughs> well, not 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 for me. No, I I wish the good times would keep on rolling. But uh, we've we've come to the end of uh, Luke chapter nine, which means we're concluding our series here on uh, disciple making and just looking at how Christ related to his disciples, what patterns. Uh, he presented to us and, and how that can uh, also be affected in our life. Uh, so why don't you take us home, Richard, with yeah. the, uh, the final installment of our disciple-making series. Well, we uh, were just kind of touching into verse 46 of Luke chapter 9 last uh, last time. And uh, it was interesting because they had just come off of uh, horrific uh, setbacks. Uh, the three disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration had fallen asleep while Moses and Elijah are talking to Jesus and the yeah. God the Father. Uh, and the other nine had failed to uh, set a boy free from an evil spirit. And in verse 41, Jesus said, given the harshest rebuke perhaps that you hear come out of his mouth when he says, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long will I be with you and put up with you? Um, and that, so it seems a little ironic that just a few verses later, five verses later in verse 46. So we're expecting contrition. Yeah. Woe is me. Yeah. It's like, what, well, what, how did we get, how did we get so far yeah. off and lose all that power that God gave us? Instead, an argument started among them about who was the greatest of them. And, uh, and I think that that's a clue as to what happened to the power of God that uh, Jesus had given to them earlier. Uh, isn't that interesting? Um, and, you know, I see this oftentimes with leaders uh, on, the, on, the, on the heels of a setback or a failure. Oftentimes, they're blaming management, they're blaming staff, they're uh, you know, uh, thinking that they still uh, deserve a big uh, bonus, even though all the numbers are down, or and they we we sort of lose sight of of uh, what's going on in our own life, and it's everybody else's fault. Mm -hmm. And uh, even if we're, you know, I've known uh, literally pastors whose churches have been in decline for years, but then their myth that they weren't asked to speak, you know, preach the annual me uh, meeting uh, sermon this year, that it's their turn. And it's like, well, you know, setbacks are such a great opportunity to evaluate and grow and make adjustments. But, uh, but I think, you know, Jesus said, what comes out of your mouth reflects what's in your heart. So mm -hmm. if you're, if you're arguing about that, you're, you're greater than your colleagues, then, then that pretty well indicates you've got pride in your heart. And so, of course, Jesus, uh, says, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me and whoever welcomes me welcomes him who sent me for whoever is least among you, this one is great. And I think it's hard uh, as leaders to imagine a child being our role model. You know, it's just like, hey, I, I lead a major company. I lead yeah. a large church. I, 
what do you mean? You know, I, not gonna, that's not going to be my poster child of what I'm trying to be like. Uh, but how can you be like a child and yet be a very strong leader? Uh, and, you know, the, the, the truth is, and I've been around people like this, that in one sense had quite a childlike faith. I mean, they just trusted God. They, they kept it simple. Uh, I think a lot of times what happens in the Christian life is we start making uh, things way too complicated that Jesus never intended for it to be. And uh, we start analyzing things to death and want to understand everything instead of just uh, believing and trusting. And and there's a certain humility about kids, you know, that um, you watch them on a playground and oftentimes, you know, kids don't put a lot of errors on. They're just trying to have fun and they're just, yeah. and they just sort of accept everybody for who they are. And they don't necessarily try to uh, act like they're better than everybody else. They just want to, you know, get along. And, um, and so it, that's just interesting here again, that, and you know, it may be well that the disciples are thinking, well, we got to organize this movement. We're going to need vice presidents. You know, there's got to be someone in charge here. And, and, and it may be that they're, you know, it's not all just totally negative, like I'm just better than you. Uh, they, I'm sure in their minds, they had valid reasons for why they had to decide, well, which of us is the leader here and who should be following who? Yeah, um, well, you could see, too. I would just love to be a, a fly on the, on the trees as they walk past discussing this because you think, you know, you... you, you both sets of disciples have had some some misses and and you know you think like well is this a sort of a way to compensate for well let's not have that happen again so like let's kind of figure out the pecking order and and yeah you know, like who's who's better at what and you know we, we just don't want to we don't want to have that failure again or we just want to feel better about ourselves like it can't be all bad, like yeah, you and know. you know it might be too. Like those, uh, there there may have been some fallout from Jesus taking just three disciples up on the mountaintop, and uh, yeah, you know I'm sure that the Peter and James and John wanted to let everybody know that hey, we saw Elijah, like we saw Moses, yeah. uh, and then everyone else is like, well, why didn't we get to do that? Well, you know, I mean. I, I could explain it to you, but it might hurt your feelings. You know, that we're better than you, and we're we're the VPs here. We're the the, the, the vice presidents, but um, uh, and so that that may well have been what launched the whole argument. But um, but again, what you notice is over and over again when the disciples start talking about what they think is important, Jesus inevitably rebukes them and yeah. and sets a child down in front of them and says, uh, "No, it's." You think that what's important is let's find the strongest leader, uh, the most outspoken person, the most dynamic, charismatic type person. But I want you to be like this child. The the greatest in my kingdom is the one who's the most keeps things the most simple and humble, uh, yeah. not that's the has the best stage presence. And I think the world often gets that wrong. The church often gets that wrong, where we 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 look for sort of things that the world admires and we say, well, let's get a leader like that. Let's get a pastor who's good on, on TV and, and has a great stage presence, but maybe has a terrible prayer life and maybe is, uh, you know, their integrity is not uh, very high. And so you get to verses uh, 49 and 50, and there's just another little story here where it says, um, John responded, Master, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he does not follow us. Don't stop him, Jesus told him, because 
whoever is not against you is for you. And again, this, uh, here again, you've got the sons of thunder, one of the sons, uh, John, uh, seeing that there's someone. Now, th- this person is casting out demons. So, I mean, he's fighting darkness. He's fighting evil. Um, but it, he's, not, he's not in their denomination. He, he doesn't use the same translation of the Bible that they do. And so it's like, hey, he doesn't do things the way we would, so yeah. we're trying to stop him. And this just seems so, so relevant uh, in so many ways to what goes on today. Yeah. And there are just so many religious Pharisees in our midst today that are just love to analyze and troll and critique everyone else uh, that is not doing things the way they think they should. And yeah. I'll tell you, there's just there's a couple of leading kind of advocates to that these days who have a lot of disciples that just love to go on social media and just tear apart everything that other people are doing. And uh, they love just to name names and point out where it's not biblical, at least according to their interpretation of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, even just recently, there was a movement of revival at Asbury uh, college in, uh, in Kentucky. And, uh, clearly there was some, uh, some signs of God clearly at work, uh, impacting people's lives. And, uh, but there were of course a bunch of people immediately that jumped on the bandwagon to say, but is it biblical? There's not a lot of solid preaching going on, or it's not led by pastors or, you know, we'll have to wait and see what the fruit is of this. And, uh, uh, you know, and I, you, you just thought to yourself, well, here are people who, who aren't involved in this. And so it's almost as if, if I'm not a, a part of it, it can't be uh, orthodox. Yeah. It can't be right. Um, and so you pick out whatever little, uh, and most of the critics haven't gone there to witness it themselves. They're, cr- they're critiquing it from afar. And, uh, you know, and then they'll, and of course, anytime there's a movement of God, it's among people you know what god does is perfect but he's he works among imperfect people so you know someone gets emotional and you say oh well, it's just a, a lot of emotionalism or someone you know gets really animated at giving a testimony well look at the you know the extremes that, that this person went to um and you can just nitpick at stuff on the fringes and then miss the fact that god is doing some great things here uh, and doesn't, you know, is it possible? Like it's own people sometimes treat it almost as if, if I can find one thing you're doing that I disagree with, then it can't be of God. Well, yeah, they think that the one sort of, uh, speck, uh, in their eye is, you know, cancels out whatever else may be happening. Yeah. And it, it may well be that that's not as biblical as it ought to be. That might be, there's some ex- excess there, uh, but that doesn't necessarily rule out everything. That just means yeah. that, uh, when God works with people, there's there's oftentimes uh, excess or or not enough effort or uh, there's some misunderstandings along the way. There's always people on the fringe who get swept up in emotionalism and they're, they're, they but they don't reflect the the heart of what's happening. Uh, there's always extremists and there's always enemies who come in uh, to anything good that God's doing and try to dilute it. Um, and so you can't judge everything on just you know, a, sort of a select group that you pick from. And so I, I, I think in, in a sense, that's kind of what Jesus is addressing here. John says, well, he is doing a good thing. He is casting out demons, but he didn't do it our way. 
uh, and 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 I think Jesus' word is uh, very apropos to today. He says, "Whoever is not against you is for you." Mm. Uh, and as as my dad has often said, people are not the enemy. When you start looking at other people, especially other believers, other Christians, yeah. and you start to to focus all of your fire on them, you are the one that is uh, has been misled. And now you're starting to aim your fire not at, the, at the, your actual enemy. But it's your allies, and uh, that's just foolishness. Of course, that you are an inst- you are being uh, toyed with by Satan, then, and you're the one who's been deceived into thinking that you should be attacking your friends instead of your enemies. Uh, and so again, you notice that rebuke of Jesus. Uh, they thought they were doing a good thing. Hey, let's let's correct all the people who aren't don't aren't orthodox the way we think they should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you know, I I, I think uh, when it comes to core issues like how how you're saved, uh, you know, whether Jesus is is uh, divine or not, I, you know, whether he was resurrected from the dead, I, I think there's some core issues that you 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 know to to be uh, to work with someone perhaps at a certain level as Christians, you want you'd say, well, okay, are are they believers? But there's a lot of secondary issues that. Yeah. Uh, that and I think we just need to make sure that we don't make secondary issues and treat them like they're core issues. And so, um, and so then you get to now. So this whole chapter, you notice a pattern that we've seen in each of the podcasts preceding this one of the disciples uh, coming up with a plan and uh, trying to implement it, and then Jesus rebukes them, and then he shows them a better way. Mm-hmm. And so you'd think after a whole chapter of this happening that the disciples would finally have been humbled a little bit and perhaps be a little less enamored with their own uh, ideas. And they would have been a little bit more quick to come to Jesus and say, well, you know, we, we have this idea, but um, we just thought we'd maybe run it by you first. Uh, but, uh, but even here at the end, verse 51, it says, when the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, he determined to journey to Jerusalem. So he's up in the Galilee area, and now he's going to start heading south. And he's going to, as he as is his custom, he's going to walk through Samaria on his way to uh, Judea. And he sent messengers ahead of him. And on the way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But they did not welcome him because he determined to journey to Jerusalem. So, of course, the, the, the Samaritans hate the Jews. The Jews hate the Samaritans. And um, so... Uh, uh, this, and they especially hated Jews who were going to walk through their land, through their village, to go to Jerusalem, which was uh, a city that represented everything that the Samaritans hated. So, you know, it's almost like someone just uh, uh, trespassing uh, through their um, uh, through their their yard to get somewhere else, and uh, to and to get somewhere that, that you might uh, not, you know, you might hate. And so they, they don't offer hospitality. And the Samaritan, of course, that was a, uh, just a valued thing that uh, people did in the Middle East um, was you showed hospitality to people. And so when the Samaritan, when uh, James and John are sent ahead and they're trying to find lodging or find food, and the Samaritans just don't receive them. In fact, that might be an understatement. They might have basically sent word, had been very hostile to say, don't pass through this way. Um, and so it says, when the disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, 
do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? Uh, now, you'd think after a whole uh, chapter full of rebukes that that they when it, when it crossed their mind, let's call fire down from heaven and obliterate an entire village, uh, men, women, children, this fire that just burns them all to a crisp, that that might have been a good time to have sober second thought. Yeah. Uh, and of course, this is perhaps reflective of the fact that these two men are called the sons of thunder because they're ready to call down fire. Um, but verse 55, it says that Jesus turned and rebuked them and they went to another village. Um, and in fact, some translations say, and he says, you don't know what spirit you are of. Uh, and, and so again, uh, I think one thing as a disciple of Jesus, you can, uh, um, you can always take to the bank is, uh, uh, if you're quick to bring fire down on somebody, if you're quick to judge them, if you're quick to write them off, um, then you, you may have strayed from the ways of Jesus. And so this was a very rude thing, a very insulting thing. And, and I, I imagine that the disciples are not just trying to be cruel. I'm, I'm guessing that they might be thinking something like, you know, this is the reputation of Jesus here at stake. Uh, this is his honor that's being maligned. Uh, they're just basically insulting Jesus. And if we just let this go, well, there's, there's 19 more villages like this in Samaria that we have to walk through, and they're all going to act that way. But what if in Samaritan village number one, we call down fire from heaven and obliterate the whole place? Just imagine what Samaritan village number two is going to do when we get to them. Uh, mm -hmm. They'll be welcoming us with open arms and saying, please <laughs> preach to us as long as you want, and we'll take an offering for you. Um, but, uh, and so I'm, I'm guessing that these disciples are thinking, you know, Jesus, uh, I know this may seem a little harsh, obliterating an entire village, but, but if you, if you obliterate one Samaritan village and then you save 19 others, uh, that's actually pretty good odds. Uh, that's yep, positive. Yeah. I mean, in the end, uh, you know, you lose a few early on, but, uh, but then the, the overall, I mean, if you, if you achieve 19 out of 20 villages, uh, all converted, uh, that's actually quite impressive. And so Jesus, like, we know how these things work. Just trust us on this. Yeah. Instead, Jesus... It's all about percentages. <laughs> instead, Jesus rebukes them and they go on their way. Now, there's an interesting parallel uh, I always like to, to read with this one because in Acts chapter 8, uh, uh, Pentecost has come and uh, the gospel is spreading all over Samaria and, and the outer regions. And it says that w when all these Samaritans are receiving the gospel, that the apostles in Jerusalem decide to send Peter and John back into Samaria. And so from Jerusalem, they probably would have come right up the very same road that they came down with Jesus a few weeks earlier. And they may well have gone into this very village. Uh, but this time, instead of calling fire down from heaven, Peter and John pray and the spirit comes down. Instead of death and destruction, uh, there's salvation, there's joy. Instead of you know weeping and gnashing of teeth, people are celebrating their newfound salvation. And you just have to wonder, what goes through John's mind as he watches? Yeah. Maybe he's standing there in that very same village, and now he sees these people joyfully receiving the gospel and all excited about going to the surrounding villages and telling their friends and, and family. And, and then, you know, what is John thinking? Is he thinking... Wow, like 
a few weeks ago, like I thought the best thing I could do for these guys was to burn them all to a crisp. And, uh, and you know, just thank God that, that Jesus didn't let us do that. And now they're all converted. Now, these same people I would have killed, uh, now they're joyfully celebrating their salvation in Christ. Uh, and I could just imagine just a shiver going through John's soul as he thought to himself, Lord, just protect me from myself. Like I, my, mm-hmm. my instincts uh, are just so evil at, at times. And, and I'm trying to even do them for good reasons. But, um, but how could I have convinced myself that harming people was good for the kingdom of God? Um, and destroying people was actually going to bring glory to God. Uh, and so you look at this, and to me it's always a very, very stark um, example of, of the, the contrast between our best thinking and God's. Uh, James, you know, James and John were not trying to think evil thoughts. They weren't trying to harm the kingdom of God. In their minds, they were probably trying to protect God's honor and his name and reputation and perhaps even trying to evangelize uh, 19 out of the 20 Samaritan village along the road. But, um, but they did it their way instead of God's way. And mm-hmm. uh, the result w- would have been disastrous. And so they, they go on to the next village. If you've ever wondered how to ask the right questions to help move people onto God's agenda, then consider attending Blackaby Ministries Spiritual Leadership Coaching Workshop April 17th to the 19th at Johnson Ferry Baptist Church in Marietta, Georgia. Not only is there great teaching at this workshop, but you will also get to practice what you learn. Use code EARLYBIRD at checkout for a special discount. To find out more and to register, visit blackabycoaching.org slash workshop. Links will be in the show notes. And so then just kind of wrapping up this chapter, it's just kind of a, an accumulation of, of people responding to Jesus. And these are all kind of wannabe disciples. Uh, it says, as they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nets, nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Uh, then he said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, first, let me bury my father. And of course, you know, sometimes I think what we have to realize with uh, this, it, it, it sounds a little harsh when Jesus replies, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Um, You know, I think what helps maybe understand this a little bit is that um, more than likely this person's father wasn't dead yet. So when he says, let me bury my father, what he's saying is, you know, I I have an obligation. Perhaps you're the oldest son, the oldest child. Mm And you're saying to Jesus, hey, I really want to follow you, but I have these obligations first. And so I'm, I'm uh, responsible for providing a funeral and a burial for my dad whenever he finally passes. So as soon as I get all this taken care of, then, uh, then I'll be free to, to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus was saying, no, following me has got to be your number one priority, even more than caring for your family. And I, and I know that's a tough one. You know, I know that's a hard one because um, we love our parents and we, we, you should try to care for them. That is, that is a responsibility that we have. It's just not as great as following Jesus. Mm-hmm. And there are times where Jesus may ask you to go places uh, where you, you can't live right next to your parents. You may not even live in the same county as your parents. Um, and Jesus was saying that's the kind of radical commitment I'm looking for and people that follow me. And so the, what you see is you see people trying to kind of work out 
sort of negotiate with Jesus their discipleship. And others said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And of course, if you've ever tried to uh, do anything that required a straight line, driving a tractor to, I, I've you know, done some things like that. If you're mowing grass or you're trying to uh, scrape snow and you're trying to you know, go up and down the line, uh, you, if you're looking backwards, uh, then you're, the line's going to go everywhere. You're going to steer to the left or the right. You won't be able to go straight. Uh, if you're going to do something like that, put your hand to the plow, uh, you've got to be looking forward. You've got to be looking at where you're going and, and keep things in line. And he was saying there's just too many people that want to be a follower of Jesus, but they keep looking back at what they've left behind, what they've, what they've lost. And, uh, uh, and, and you just can't do that. You, it, James would call that being double-minded, uh, mm-hmm. where you, part of you really wants to follow Jesus, but part of you is really torn by what you've left behind, and you, you miss it, and you, you, you long for it. And so you, you keep looking back and forth, and then Jesus said, that's not the kind of disciple that I'm going to use to turn the world upside down. It's going to be disciples that are all in. And so what I, what I find just with this chapter in Luke is just a great example of the conflict that we have between our ways and God's, where we're, we're, we're constantly, we want to follow Jesus, but we just keep trying to do things our way or the world's way. And Jesus continually rebukes that and keeps saying, you think that you understand what it means to follow me. But then you keep doing things the way the world does and not the way I would. And as we saw uh, at the Samaritan village, sometimes that brings a lot of harm to people. Uh, you, you, you meant well. You were trying to do the right thing. But uh, because of what you did, uh, people were hurt instead of helped. And uh, so, you know, as we get to the end of this uh, chapter, I, I, I think we need to really just analyze what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Uh because we, we think we know, uh, we think it means being a student, maybe going to Sunday school at church each week or being in a Bible study, filling our heads with knowledge of, of the teachings of Jesus. But being a disciple is someone who follows Jesus and who goes wherever Jesus leads and does whatever Jesus says. And uh, even when things makes, don't make sense to us, if Jesus is calling us to do it, then we do it. And uh and so uh, this, this kind of brings to the end. I, I encourage you just uh, to our listeners to be uh, reading just carefully and slowly through uh, chapter 9 and just watch how many times Jesus has to correct his disciples. Uh, th- there's a reason that he walked with his disciples for three and a half years. And even, even at the close of that time, they still weren't getting it. Yeah. it. It wasn't until the Spirit of God came upon them that they finally started to kind of make sense of a lot of what Jesus had been trying to teach them. Uh, and so if it took Jesus three and a half years personally walking with the disciples and they still struggled to understand the ways of Jesus, then it shouldn't surprise us if uh, we, we struggle as well and that it's not, we're, we perhaps don't know the ways of God as well as we thought we did. Yeah, well, that's, that's a great challenge uh, to each of us. And uh, we certainly appreciate you taking us through uh, Luke chapter 9 and, and what it means to, to be a disciple of Christ. And uh, we'll leave it there, and until next time. 
Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackme.org.